Has anybody here ever bunk bed sexed? I've had bunk bed sex. Top bunk or bottom? Top. Person on the bottom bunk? Friend, family, stranger? To me or to the person I was having sex with? Whatever you want to let me know. I believe college roommate. It was college. Gordy, you lived at home during college. <laughs> Michael, stop it! <laughs> We've stopped him in his tracks twice. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to S1E1, the show where each week we pick a different sitcom, watch just the first televised episode, and forgetting anything we might know about the future run of that show, rate it and decide if it's a show we want to greenlight or cancel. This week we're going to be talking about How I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your Mother went 208 episodes over nine seasons on CBS. They were talking about episode one, which is called Pilot, originally airing September 19th, 2005. So to get things started, I'm Jay Gags. With me, as always, the boys, Joe, Ferg, Nick, and Gordo. What's going on, guys? Hey, oh. Hello. Oh, we met at the urinal. Guys, 150 episodes. Oh, holy <laughs> shit. That is crazy. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I don't want to talk too much about us before we talk about the show, but I mean, 150 episodes. We obviously wanted to do um, like a bigger show to celebrate and how I met your mother as a gigantic fan base. So it seems appropriate to slide this one in here. Yeah, 150 in 150 weeks, which is actually the part I'm most proud of, is that we have never missed a week since we've started doing this, which is really cool. Yeah, anybody who knows us knows that that's quite the feat. <laughs> Insane. But even if you didn't know us, like, getting five people together 150 weeks in a yeah, row. Yeah, I think, they, like, statistically, right, if you go 10 weeks <laughs> or something like that, it's like you're of rare air in the podcast space. And I will say, too, you know, everybody, for the most part, has had to miss some, right? Life gets in the way, but... <laughs> everybody? Everybody but Jay, who I saved his biscuits once, so he didn't have to miss an episode. The the Cal Ripken Jr. of the S1E1 podcast? Whatever helps you sleep, Jay. I mean, I appreciate that you mentioned a baseball player I know, but in general, for the most part, we've only done a couple three-man episodes, I think. Almost all of them have been four, for the most part, and that's a lot of... Three... I think we did three three-man, and then uh, a good chunk of four-man, but yeah. Yeah, out of 150, that's that's pretty good. I'm impressed with all of us. We all live in the same time zone, but in different places and work and life. It's And obviously, for episode 150, we had to make sure that all five are present for this one. So, you know, we made sure we recorded accordingly to make sure everybody was available for this. It's a really big show, and uh, we wanted to be at full strength. Yes, I even took a nap before the show to make sure that I was at full strength. Why don't you just do the Ferg thing and take a nap until 10 minutes into when we're supposed to start the show? <laughs> I'm sorry. Didn't you recently fall asleep and we, we were calling your house to get you up? Hold on. That happened to me once. That's happened to you like dozens of times. But Jay, to be fair, you're the only person who's ever fallen asleep mid recording of an episode. Also, <laughs> so <laughs> You can't throw too much That's shade. True. That's because I don't take weeks off. But do we hear snorting on the podcast right now? What's happening? Hey, audio's <laughs> audio, as long as we're recording. How I Met Your Mother, obviously, like I keep saying, gigantic show. Did any of you guys watch How I Met Your Mother in its run after? How familiar are you with the show? I've seen the whole show. Really? I watched it a very long time ago, probably, I don't know, probably 10 years ago now. 
I watched it front to back, but I think it's one of those shows now where I could go and watch it and it would be pretty much evergreen. Or not evergreen, but um, new to me still. Like, I, I would have... It's just one of those background shows. Like, I wasn't, like, engaged every episode. It was just kind of on I was, as I was binging it. Question for you, since you've seen all of it. Is the mother on this show? Yes. <laughs> Eventually. I would imagine that's how it has to end, right? Yeah, the ending is... <laughs> From what I understand, people don't, like, love the way it ended, but I think any show that's so huge, it's impossible to, like, meet standards. Yeah. Well, they ruin it in, the, in this episode. I don't think they ruin it. That's something we'll talk about. No, I yeah. think they do a good ending. So I, I've seen, like, a handful of episodes, but I was never part of, like, the fandom of it. And then, I don't know, I've said this before, shows that end up going this long, if I don't watch them, it becomes overwhelming, the thought of, like, starting to watch it. <laughs> Because I don't watch as much television as some of you guys do. I had never seen this. I couldn't believe that it was over 10 years ago. Yeah, I wasn't an active every week watcher. But like if it was on in the background, like this is a show my mother would watch. And like if I happen to be over. This was a show that I guess I didn't fully understand how big the fandom of it was for most of the run of the show. Well, it's funny, too, because I mean, I've never really heard whether or not this is true or not, but this was the this like the most successful attempt at a second version of Friends that I think ever left the ground. Well, that's all based on like w- whatever you want to label as an attempt. You know, and they don't try to be friends. It's just someone ends up making a comparison. Well, I mean, it's pretty similar. It's just two less people, right? I don't. I don't remember Friends doing the Family Guy cutaways every five minutes. That's yeah. It's just I think any time. At anytime after Friends, you see a show that's centered around a group of friends that are all in that general age range, it's going to get that rough comparison. I will say when I found out, I'd never seen the show, like I said, but when I looked up a few different things about it, when I did like my ancillary notes after my notes, the amount of stuff that popped up that was like, oh, do you mean on Etsy? I was like, okay, this show is huge because if most of the things you look for have listings for purchasable fan stuff oh yeah it's like littered with inside show jokes and stuff like that there's just a ton of that stuff available like there's one thing specifically we'll talk about that's a a key component to this episode where i was like i wonder if you could actually get one of those and then i was like down a rabbit hole for 20 minutes i mean other than harold and kumar this was the resurgence of nph like neil patrick harris all of a sudden became huge again thanks to this show i know it's not my humor at all it doesn't make any sense, but do you know what I love Neil Patrick Harrison? What? That A Million Ways to Die in the West movie. I think that movie is <laughs> My so funny. My mustache, your mustache. <laughs> and I think the funniest joke in that movie is a fart joke, which is <laughs> completely against everything I think is funny. But one of the people, one of the guy's dad dies of the fart needles. I tried to not laugh when they said that. It was like my wife was looking at me, be like, "You're gonna laugh, aren't you?" And I was like, "I'm not. I'm not. I'm not." And I fucking like spit my drink out. I was like, "God, fucking damn it!" See? There's hope for you deep, deep down inside. There's hope for you. There's no hope for me. We know there's no hope for me. To get into the actual episode, so we start off with this narration, and the narrator of the show is Bob Saget, R.I.P. One of the greats. That hurt. I was so glad though to see because I didn't know the run of this show. When I heard his voice, it's immediately for our generation, right? Recognizable. You're like, oh my God, that's Bob Saget. I had the like heartbreak thing where I was like, did he die? And they had to figure out how to like write him no, off. No, he, yeah, he made it through the whole run because yeah. the show's been over for a while. And what I thought was kind of interesting too is like, so the way, the way it's presented is the show starts and you see 
Ted, the main character's kid, sitting on a couch. And Bob Saget is narrating as the voice of Ted modern day, who's going to now tell his children the story about how he met their mother, which, you know, in the title of the show. So with that device, I thought that was like, it's tough not knowing the show. You know what I mean? Just right off the bat, you're like, well, let's not limit you on how long you can drag that out. But I mean, apparently they they figured out a way to do it for nine seasons. So, I mean, I guess they probably had the, like the foresight to be like, there's no way this is going to go longer than X, Y, and Z, the kid's age. Yeah, it will, it will, one of the things they did was, so the kids, they filmed, like, all, every episode that they're in was all filmed in a short timeline in the first season. That's so smart. So they did, like, they're in, like, 65 episodes out of the 200 and something now. Again, my fandom is, I've only seen scattered episodes, so I don't know what they do in all those other episodes when they're gone. They, what, do they just get away from it and you just hear narration? And then, they yeah, the they're scenes? not a huge, important part. But that's smart, though, right? Because imagine you're in season four or whatever, and all of a sudden the kids got, like, stubble. And it's like, what do you mean, Dad? Like, that's See, I, I would have used that joke in the finale. Be like, Dad, you've been telling this story so long. Don't, He's got like, long gray hair. That's a yeah. good idea. You could, you could, in theory, yeah, bring them back, only much older now, to like for the conclusion. Actually, the final episode... You have the actor who plays Ted, Josh uh, Radner. He does the narration for the finale. But I guess there's like an alternate take or something where Bob Saget does some stuff. And forgive me, I don't know because I hadn't seen it. But um, other than that, he's done. Bob Saget was part of every single episode. Probably his easiest payday ever, that show. (laughs) Well, that's no different than um, Daniel Stern doing The Wonder Years and stuff like that. So Yeah, but was it any easier and probably a little less fun than him doing America's Funniest People or whatever it was. Uh, America's, America's Funniest, funniest home, videos? home Videos. How do you fuck that up? I think yeah, you're thinking of because you're a big Dave Coulier fan. Yeah, I think I'm, a, I'm a Coulier head, so I was probably thinking think of that one. Cool, yeah. I was like, who's that really funny comedian, Dave Coulier? You think like when Dave Coulier is like, "Hey, I got a show just like the one you have." It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, was was there any heat there? That had to be weird, right? And then John Stamos was like, I'm just going to go on tour with the Beach Boys, you fucking weirdos. See you later. Is he still on the tour with the yeah, Beach he's Boys? Yeah, he's still, like, I think, like, I don't know if he does everything with them, but for the most part, I think he does. Also, I know you guys aren't big into, like, police procedurals or anything, but you should just, like, one day, if you like a person, just Google their name and Law and & Order. Everybody's got a great Law & Order. There's a John Stamos Law & Order episode where he's a serial condom poker, and he's just trying to make, like... 10,000 kids. It's fucking amazing. Joe, did, did you ever see the Robin Williams one? Yes, the Robin Williams one is fucking terrifying. It's so sad, though. It's terrifying, but sad. Uh, the best one ever, though, is the one where Chevy Chase is playing the analog of uh, Mel Gibson after the Mel Gibson like racist police pullover. And it's basically just Chevy Chase being like, what do you think, hot tits? And you're like, I can't fucking handle this right now. What's happening? Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. I wanted to check that that's, out. That's Law & Order original. <laughs> to get back into all this, one thing I find interesting is we find out through that narration is that when he's telling his kids about this story, it's the year 2030. So by doing that, they're making it so the show can exist in modern day, where I think a lot of other times or a show like this, you would think that the narration would be present day and then they'd be telling all this story in the past i don't know i think i guess it could have worked either way right if this was like a timepiece show because those i feel like those work out all the time for some reason but they work but that's so much more work for the production company oh for sure yeah 
I'm glad that there were like they weren't like it's 2030 and everybody had like a like a fucking holographic head or something. You know what I mean? Like sometimes those shows are like the future will be crazy, and you're like it's not going to be that crazy. They just kind of made it normal. Just to have a couple kids sitting on the couch and just leaving it at that. You know, we don't have to overdo it. I I guess they I don't know if this is by design, but they put like real no effort into trying to figure out a way to make it look a little more modern. It's a very like um old setup in the house they're wearing very like modern day to that time clothes but just like kids in jeans on a couch like perfect don't try to make it too yeah yeah, too modern i don't know if they made it like the jetsons but dad the store is as boring as my broken flying car like okay fuck this show i can't watch this anymore (laughs) so after we kind of get that little like intro finding out that this is going to be him telling the story about you know how he met their mother we get into the intro itself Intro is fine. You know, it's it's just basically like a series of pictures kind of showing you Ted and Ted and his buddies like growing up. He, he talks a lot about when he was like growing up with his friend Marshall and you're just seeing some of that stuff. Pretty simple title card. Greg, you're a theme guy. You okay with this? It's pretty simple. It's fine. I'd prefer a, a long theme song with, you know, words, but I don't I don't discount shows that don't have them. I just prefer the ones with I think it's very catchy. This uh, the, the just like the melody is it gets stuck in my head pretty easily. Yeah, it's pretty catchy. Yeah. So we find out that Ted was 27 at the time uh, where the story starts, and he's just starting to make it as an architect. He lives in New York with Marshall, who I mentioned, who's his best friend, played by Jason Siegel of Forgetting Sarah Marshall fame. You got that shit-eating grin on your face right when you said it, because I knew you were going to bring up Forgetting Sarah Of course, Michael. the second he pops in, and I love Jason Siegel. I really do. He's in so many things I love, and I love Forgetting Sarah Marshall once I saw it, but I was mad I had to see it because I didn't want to kill the joke of making Jay <laughs> mad about that movie. Real quick, we didn't mention, too, though, the theme song is the creators of the show's band. Oh, I did not know that. That's actually a good tidbit. Yeah, so the two creators of the band of the show... They, like, met in college, they became writers, and they also were a band. So, like, they're such a unit of people who do things that they, like, wrote the show together, and they even wrote the theme for it, which I love that, like, in-house aspect of things. Be like, why farm it out? We can do it for free. And I'm sure the network was like, free song, sure. Did the band do anything, or was that it? No, yeah, I looked them up. I expected them to have, like, a 7-inch or something from the 90s and they were like just like a college indie rock band but it looks like any recordings they did never came out which you think would have after how big this show was mm. so it's just the theme song kind of all exists this probably took off so huge that you know like there was no time to really focus or refocus on that stuff but I've got recordings of like every band I've ever been in some who put stuff out some who didn't if all of a sudden I was like mega popular I'd be like who wants to put out these songs and make a little extra money like I'd be trying to do that right away True. That narration concludes with him talking about how good life was at the time, growing up, you know, being in college with Marshall and stuff, and then says how Marshall went and screwed everything up, and that fades into the, you know, the actual episode, and it opens with Marshall, who's like, practice proposing to Ted, and then they're kind of going over all this stuff and what's going to happen next after she says yes, says to, you know, afterwards, Ted's like, oh, and then you pop some champagne, you do a toast, have... (laughs) He says, you have sex on the kitchen floor, but he's joking, says, don't do that. You know, Ted's really excited for Marshall, obviously, because, like, he's been friends with him for so long, and he really likes Lily. And, you know, he's been there for all of their firsts, you know, their first dates, the, you know, when they first met. Apparently, he was there the first time they had sex, because they shared bunk beds at the time. Has anybody here ever bunk bed sexed? 
No. no. I have, yes. but it wasn't, um, like, there was no bottom. It was just a raised bed. Well, that's different. It was dicey, <laughs> though. <laughs> well, that's a different word. There's a different name for that. That's a, um, a loft. It's a lofted bed. Okay. Yeah, you liar. Well, Nick is at loft sex. It's different. He's not lying. <laughs> I've had bunk bed sex. Was there, was there somebody, top bunk or bottom? Top. Was there somebody in the bottom bunk? Yes. Was it while you were watching Top Gun? And, and, and eating lasagna? <laughs> Guys, I've had sex before. I'm married, okay? Like, that's not a mythical thing. Let's not start that. I don't need people commenting on social media that I am a virgin, okay? Gordo's the virgin. Why are you, you shaming all the virgins, Gordo? Why you froze him in his tracks? He, he, like, just, <laughs> he had nowhere to go with that. That was him trying to circle, like, how do I not get canceled with this comment? Kind of. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a virgin, and it's cool to wait. Virginity if that's your thing. Virginity is cool. <laughs> virginity is cool. Great. Now there's, vi- now there's video of me and audio of me saying virginity is cool. Great. You can be married and not have sex. That's not yeah, a yeah, requirement. That's a thing. I mean, the only proof is me and Joe have reproduced. Yeah. I mean, you can't have sex. Uh, I mean, you can also get married and not have sex uh, on your wedding night. I tried, and it did not take. Uh, you actually don't have to have sex to have a kid anymore, so. Well, you did when I did. Uh, uh, yeah, technology's changed since Ferg had the child 55 <laughs> years ago. They, they invented it so no one ever had to have sex with me again. <laughs> this is for the better of the world. <laughs> I want to get back real quick, Gordo. The person in the bottom bunk, friend, family, stranger. To me or to the person I was having sex with? Whatever you want to let me know. I believe college roommate. It was college. Gordo, you lived at home during college. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, stop it! (laughs) (laughs) We've stopped him in his tracks twice. You did establish it was the, the, the counterpart. Right. It was the other person. It was the other person's roommate. Michael. <laughs> you are... uh... Moving on. The next thing that happens is Ted's calling Barney. Barney is Neil Patrick Harris's character. And uh, they're having a quick conversation. And, and Barney's character, I mean, he's a strong character. But he's a lot. And, and you're finding out from the moment you meet him, like, he's a lot. So, I mean, the conversation on the phone just kind of out of nowhere. He just starts talking about how, hey, you know, I've always had a thing for half Asian girls. Well, you know, my new favorite thing is Lebanese girls. <laughs> it's very just out of nowhere. So much about him would not fly today at all. Yeah, this is, this is definitely a product of He could get away with it as a gay man. Honestly, I was going to say the same thing as Ferg. It, it's, even in today's world, he comes, that character is so, like, such a ma- misogynist character, but the fact that people know that in real life... But he came out while on this show. When this show started, no, people I think didn't before. know, I thought. I'm not sure when it happened. But, I mean, again, it was 2004 or whatever. Like, this was a different time sure. for what they, you'd be allowed to say on TV shows. But I think the fact does remain that I... I believe he could get away with doing that in modern day. You said this came out in 05. He came out in 06. Oh, so soon thereafter. But yeah, I do think there is something to that for the modern day aspect of it, which is kind of weird because whether you're gay, straight, or whatever, in real life, the character is still a character, right? <laughs> you know, like, but 
often at times people don't like, even when fictional characters are a little off kilter these days. I feel like you have to go so extreme on shows now. Like you can do it. You can be like a crass. I mean, look, there's a Ted TV show now, right? Like that's a very crass anti PC type of character. As you come into it being like unabashedly, this is what this is. And it's satire. I think you're fine. But I think that probably not like an ABC sitcom would do it now. Yeah, I don't think a major network would do it. Again, I don't necessarily agree that it should be shied away from because I think shows should reflect real life. (laughs) And I think think what happens with a lot of these shows now is they water them down to appease everyone so much that the characters feel less realistic and complete. Well, here's here's, here's my argument is like it should be allowed because he's not... Like presented as a role model, like they're exactly. not saying you should act like this. Good point. Yeah, when he's not the hero of the show, and and when you do that with these shows, and you water down the way these characters are portrayed, it's like you don't have to root for everybody, you know. But you want it to be like a representation of what real life feels like, because that's how people connect with shows. And now we're seeing with a lot of these modern shows where they really do try to make every character so safe. That, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you feel is right in real life. It's just, it, as far as how people act and behave, it's about replicating what actually exists to make the show just feel more realistic. As a podcast that covers, historically covers sitcoms, right? Like, we see all these people. There's always an ancillary character who is the weirdo guy. Like, in Three's Company, he had his best friend who was, like, the sleazy guy who hit on girls and did wrong things, right? There's always that person. And they're the, not the villain, per se, but they're, like... The person you're not supposed to think is like a good person. It's made but very you can known make that this person is sleazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You need the sleazy person to make the hero of the show seem more like a hero. Right. Well, unless you're like married with children. One of and those then everybody's shows, like... sleazy. <laughs> but Al redeems himself all the time, too. I'll never forget the episode of Married with Children where Al doesn't want to get rid of the Dodge because he's got important things in the back. And he pulls out a magazine of biggins. And then inside the magazine is a picture of the family. So you're like, actually redeemed at that point some of the characters in these shows aren't redeemed and they shouldn't be so we flash forward and now ted and barney meeting up at the bar and i'm assuming the bar is going to be like where a lot of this show takes place that's pretty much all i remember of this show like any time i was gonna say most times i've caught it they seem to be there so this is their hangout this is their central perk this is their the max this is like where they spend their time the bar in the apartment we were talking about this earlier today, my wife and I, how, because we, we finished Frasier, and then we finished the new Frasier, and then we re, we're starting to rewatch Cheers from when Frasier comes into Cheers, season three, and the bar is such a good place for a sitcom, and people just keep fucking it up. The only people who tried to do it and got it right, I think, is that show Abby's Place that only lasted one season on NBC, which I think we'll have to cover eventually. I guess they didn't get it right then. No, the show got it right. <laughs> it's just that... You know, it's hard to get a show across the finish line now with everything going on, I guess. But I think the bar is such an easy show place. Is that the one where the girl had the bar in the backyard? Yeah. And it's the janitor from um, Scrubs. Oh, oh, I do. Yeah, I remember the show. It was really good. I forget. I forget the actor's name who, who's Abby in it. She's in. She's like Tom's girlfriend in Parks and Rec for a while. I, I can't think of her name, but oh, it was a really yeah. good show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. OK, Abby Shola. <laughs> and Bob, Bob hearted her so hard Ted's telling Barney about how with this engagement you know since college it's always been Marshall, Lily and him but now it's going to be Marshall and Lily and him like he's going to be like a distant third he's not going to be like as much a part of this unit 
you know, he's feeling like, I don't know, a certain way about that. And I could, I mean, I guess I can understand that to a degree as you grow up and grow older and you, especially when you're in a tight, like real small friend group like that, I guess that fear can be amplified. Yeah. When you're like a twofer. I mean, there's three of them. Yeah, but they're a twofer and they allowed one in because I don't think that you consider Barney to be Marshall's friend per se. I yeah, feel like it's he weird. came in late and um, Allison Hannigan came in late as well. Like it's two best friends and they're like struggling with the you make friends outside of that circle. Yeah, it's almost like Barney's the guy he talks to when Marshall's busy with his girl. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how, I mean, obviously the way the show progresses, you, I would assume they're, they're more established as a full click. But in this specific episode, it feels like Marshall is Ted's friend and Barney is Ted's friend. And even though that they, they intermingle, it's just all kind of through, like without Ted, they don't all make sense together. I do like the wild card friend though. That's the thing that's weird to me though, is I feel like, and I think we're an odd grouping. Most people, when I tell them I've got friends I'm very close with still have known for 30 years are like, that doesn't happen. But I feel like people like this, it's rare for them to come in and then ingratiate themselves this late in life into everybody. That's a hard thing to pull off. Yeah. He's Joey. That was Joey. Like, did they not know Joey? Yeah, he ended up being Chandler's roommate. And then they all became friends. That's not it. (laughs) It was close enough. It's close, but it wasn't it. You do it, Jay. Yeah, Jay. It's, it's, what I it's like iconic. Everyone knows it. I did the it. Rembrandts? Yeah. Yes. I think that was yeah. a guy from The Quick. We, we get to a flashback. This show does, Fred, you mentioned earlier, this show does, does do its share of cutaways. They don't overdo it, um, as a lot of the early 2000s shows did. But it I, will does, say that, I will say that as far as cutaways go, when I can tell a show does a lot of cutaways, the way I do my notes, because I do them on lined paper, is I'll do a, a line break for every new scene. And this show was just like, Line break, line break, line break, line break. Because they do cut enough that you're like, oh, it felt like it was longer notes because it was so much paper, but it's just the scenes change so much. Do you like or dislike the cutaways? I'm not a huge fan. I don't hate them, but I think they're overused. I will say this. We recently covered um, Two Guys, A Girl, and a Pizza Place. And I think that show did too much talking per scene. That show will come out next week. Okay, we recently recorded two guys yes. from the pizza place. Look, people know that this <laughs> is not spoiler week to alert, week, right? No, I mean flat out. We honestly said uh, at the top of the episode we wanted to make sure we were at full strength for one fifty, and we would have been. We're only <laughs> spoiler alert. There's only going to be four of us next week when we cover that show. So we, you know, we pivoted just to make sure that we could again do this as much justice as we could. But a show like that, the first five minutes of that show are literally people doing nonstop talking, no breaks. Yeah. I think this is better as as a show you're just watching in the background. I don't mind some cutaways. I don't like when it's so much that it takes, it feels like they're resting on it for the humor. Like I remember when we covered grounded for life, like that's the thing that deterred me from the show. The most was they cut away so often. It was all, everything was a lot like in modern day felt like a line to set up another flashback. And it It was was so much thing. It was just too much. And it only works in Family Guy because they were the first, really, to do it and do it good in their cartoon. I think the cartoons makes it better, yeah. Just to get into this one, this flashback is the first time that Barney and Ted met, which is at the same bar. And it's a, we see them like sitting at like a booth together, 
and the way Barney's like talking to Ted, you would think they would have known each other for a while, but it turns out they just met like at the urinal earlier, <laughs> um, like moments before. And he's very comfortable with Ted right off the bat. And he's telling him all these things that he needs to do. Start wearing suits, get rid of the goatee. We see Ted with a goatee only here. So he did it. He did take that advice because modern day doesn't have it. I thought about this because it came up in our chat recently too. Nick, I recall having a goatee. Jay, I recall I having a goatee. I've never goateed. Ferg and Gordo, I can't remember. Ferg definitely did. Ferg definitely did. I never goateed. I had a mustache. I even had just the line. It was terrible. Oh, man. <laughs> the Steiner. Was that when you were wearing the Affliction shirts? <laughs> no. That was, that was my, ba- my Batista stage. When I looked just like Batista. There's, the, there's like the, um, the series of pictures of um, all of us Sam's Nick that are like throughout the years. And the, one of the older ones, which is, happens to be in Nick's basement, actually, um, Ferg has just the, just the Batista line. It's supposed to be my friends. You say, Ferg, that looks stupid. Well, I mean, I don't, when I look back, I'm not super happy with me having the goatee <laughs> as often as I did either. Listen, so, it know. was the style at the time. Yeah, it I was. I think in that same picture, half of my hair is bleached. I like That's everybody true. was not doing something good at that Actually, point. Actually, I had the douchebag uh, goatee. I'll try to um, I'll try to post that on our social if uh, you know, try to dig that one up. We also all had mushroom cuts in elementary school. <laughs> hey, look, that was everybody had those then. Listen, that was out of necessity. We only had a bowl and one pair of scissors in the house, okay? <laughs> Honestly, when I when I look back at the uh the goatee thing, I think of cuz that picture was from right around when we graduated. And when I we graduated in 2004, when I think back to that time, it always um flags like the Red Sox. When I think of like those early two thousands Red Sox teams, I think like ninety percent of the team all had goatees. Oh yeah. So so I kind of like I think it really was like a big part of the time. So it, and we, it's a Stone Cold era too. Yeah, yeah. And to a lesser extent, Goldberg. You know what's interesting about some of the cutaways? Like this isn't an example, but this one like later, this whole show is a cutaway. So you do a cutaway flashback. That's true. It's a flashback yeah. within a flashback. That's interesting, yeah. How many degrees that is. When we get back to like modern day and they're talking, you get a little bit of um Barney takes exception to Ted saying that Marshall's his best friend because Barney thinks that he's his best friend. And I guess that's Ted is technically Barney's best friend, but I mean, how do you compete with the relationship that he has with Marshall? But he does insist on Ted telling him that he's his best friend. That's the thing that sounds weird as you get older. My best like, friend. You guys are my best friends, but it feels weird when you're talking to another adult who's also like 40 years old to be like, well, my best friends and I <laughs> like, oh, you say that. That's like when someone's 16, they're like, this is my girlfriend. And you're like, you should find a better word for that. It sounds weird when you say it that way. This leads to what I think is my favorite thing to happen in the episode, just because I thought it was so clever when he says like, well, as your best friend, I think it's time to play a game. I like to call, have you met Ted? And the game, have you met Ted is just, he taps a girl on the shoulder when she turns around, she goes, he just says, Hey, have you met my friend Ted? And then she looks at him and he walks away. <laughs> That's the best wingman move. That's such a solid move. I think, though, it only works because Neil Patrick Harris is very charming. Mm-hmm. And he can do that. And he's not threatening. He's not weird. Like, if Neil Patrick Harris was a guy with long hair wearing camo, that game wouldn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he can play that game and it works because he is who he is. Well, that too. I mean, I can imagine, like, if you're if you're trying to do that for one of your friends and you're at a bar and you're like you've had too many and you're just like in a girl's face like going hey 
have you met Ferg? <laughs> you guys met Ferg? Like, oh, God, get away from me. It's like, yeah, it's going to read completely The different. suit does not help at that point. <laughs> the suit maybe is a hindrance at that point. But in this case, it does work out. Um, in the moment, in, you know, Ted meets this girl named uh, Yasmin. He says how that's a pretty name. And she's like, thanks, it's Lebanese, which is a callback to earlier when we find out that Barney's now obsessed with Lebanese girls. So from there, we get back to Marshall's apartment. And the scene opens up with Lily walking in. Lily, played by Allison Hannigan. American Pie, right? Yeah, American Buffy. Pie. Buffy. Uh, she was also in... Um, which Free called? Spirit? Yeah, Free Spirit. Free Spirit, which we covered, which was fucking abysmal. No offense, I like Allison Hannigan, but that series was abysmal. Yeah, no, and this is... I mean, It's funny, actually, because when you look at the timeline of when this comes out, we're talking about Jason Segel. We're talking about Neil Patrick Harris, but Allison Hannigan's probably the biggest star at this moment when the show is coming out right because of like yeah, where the rest easily. of them are in their careers is that, a, is that at the height of american pie hype yeah well american pie can't, comes out a few years earlier so i'm sure the sequel is coming out right around that same time this is probably around american wedding um i mean we could do a quick check american the pie worst two, this came out in 2005 Ferg, you just said the worst American, and I want to stop you right there. It's the worst, probably theatrically released. Uh, that's American what I meant. I, I, yeah. I don't count the straight to video ones. I love Eugene Levy so much, but like American Pie Seven, Eugene Levy talks to children. You're like, why are we doing this still? <laughs> yeah. So American Wedding came out in 2003, and then this ends up coming out in 2005. So the trilogy's out. I mean, those movies were so huge, and then when you look at like Neil Patrick Harris, like he's like. He's about to have a giant resurgence, but I think it's all spawning from right around here. At this point, he's still Definitely. just Doogie. Yeah, he's Doogie Hauser. Well, no, he did the Harold and Kumar, right? Harold and Kumar did come Harold out the Kumar. year before. Came out in 2004, so he's got a little bit of steam for himself at this point, too, actually. I never sure, but does he even make Doogie Hauser jokes in Harold and Kumar? Like, he was still trading on that at this point. He's a huge star, and he's great, but at this point, he still had to, like, trade on that. Well... Well, that, I mean, he plays, like, a satire of himself in that movie, and that's, like, he was, like, a celebrity that had really been doing little to nothing that was making, at least catching the public's eye, you know what I mean? So for him to do that was kind of this, like, whoa, like, it really boosted him back up and made him, like, a public figure again. Also, one of the greatest TV show cameos of all time is Neil Patrick Harris as Doogie Hauser on Roseanne. There's the episode of Roseanne where she has to get a breast reduction surgery because her back is so messed up. And when she's high on the gas, she wakes up and her boobs are two times bigger. And she finds out the doctor was Doogie Hauser. Oh my god, I forgot about that. So yeah. fucking good. <laughs> Gordon, you never saw Harold and Kumar? No. That's a movie you would love. I can't believe you haven't seen that yeah, movie. Yeah, you would really. Well, I don't know. You'd find a way I mean, to hate it, Can you not actually, believe but... I, I don't watch movies. I don't watch TV. I'm so glad you're on this podcast. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny every time you say it. I just, I did when I was younger. So I did when I was younger, but I don't have cable anymore. And I think that's kind of the big thing. I don't have cable anymore. So the TV's not constantly on. So I have to like sit down and search for something. And then you get like overload of like, oh my God, all these things are out there at my fingertips. What do I watch? And then you, I end up. I kind of relate to that. So actually. you choose yeah. nothing. Exactly. So then I, because I'm overwhelmed with the decision. I choose nothing, and then I end up just scrolling on my phone. I mean, to a degree, I understand. Also, Harold and Kumar came out 20 years ago. So, I mean, there's also That, that. was a movie. Harold and Kumar was when we got in that bad accident when I uh, leaving was the it? theater. Yeah, we were coming back from Harold and Kumar. 
That was uh to those of you listening, yeah, it was um me and Nick were both in Ferg's car and Ferg just uh there was a fire truck that was coming through and then there was a car that was what tailing behind it or in front of it? No, they were at the light and when they saw the fire truck they panicked and went through the light. I wasn't with you that day, but like was it possible my dad was part of this accident? <laughs> That's pretty funny to think of. That was um I'm surprised I didn't get like really injured from that because my arm was out the window. And when he like stopped, like my like shoulder like went into the car, and like luckily nothing bad happened. It wasn't like, but your ankle went through the yeah. bottom of the car. <laughs> it's been a, a shit show ever since. He Flintstone stopped us. As far as the accident went, like it was, um, it wasn't the worst accident I've ever been in, but it was pretty, pretty high impact hit. The entire front of my car was gone. <laughs> I mean, no accident is good, right? Like they're always jarring. Also, that was like a very rare time I was wearing a seatbelt. Someone was looking out for me because I probably would have died. What's weird about that accident, too, though, is that the culprit who hit you guys, they ended up taking him to Guantanamo Bay, and Harold and Kumar had to eventually get him out a couple years later. Oh, the cock meat sandwich? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think we'd go to a Harold and Kumar sequel joke tonight, so I'm really happy we circled that. I'm glad we covered two of the movies, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyways, to cycle it back, we see from Lily... That um, she must be a teacher, so it was finger painting day. So like, and um, some five year old got to second base, and there's just like the the handprint over a tit, you know, from the paint. It's like a yellow blueprint. It was. I thought it was like a purple or a blue, but we yellow. I thought it was green. Well, okay. <laughs> we the know it's a is a rainbow. <laughs> Prove us wrong, children. <laughs> you know, and I'm proud of all of us for not focusing that much on our titties. I thought it was yellow too. I think it was yellow, to be honest, but we could all be wrong. So Marshall's telling her that not only did he cook, but he has a lot of surprises planned for the night. I, I like that, like, he he panics in the moment now because he doesn't want to give away, like, he's like, oh, what else do you have? And he just goes like, boogity-boo, because <laughs> he just doesn't know what to say to her now. I love boogity-boo so much. We go back to the bar, and we see Ted and Yasmin that are, like, sitting at a small table together. And uh, sharing a drink. So, again, we think that, you know, have you met Ted thing was, like, working out for him. Yeah, they're really hitting it off. Well, that's the thing. They, like, they seem to be hitting it off. And she's asking, like, if he thinks he's ever going to get married. And he's kind of talking about, like, all these little things, how he envisions the wedding and stuff like that. And in this moment, he's, like, he seems pretty charming. You know, he's, you know, she says that all that stuff is pretty cute. And he's, like, oh, clearly you're drunk. He's calling for the bartender and saying, oh, one more for the lady, which I don't think you should say that. Like, oh, you're drunk here. Have some more alcohol. But regardless, regardless. Um, a little weird. So when we cut back to uh, Lily and Marshall and we see that, you know, they're cooking and stuff. Marshall tries to surprise Lily again, only now with the bottle of champagne. And she's really excited, but he hands her the bottle. He's like, uh, yeah, he's he's afraid to open it. And he has like this fear of like, you know breaking something or the bottle popping whatever it is that's like his reserve about opening the bottle i thought this was actually pretty good to help you see the dynamic of the couple and i think i thought like something really small like this actually shows you marshall's character pretty well who's afraid to open a champagne bottle like when we were kids if you got like cheap champagne like about like cold duck or something you'd shoot it at your friends like you knew how to pop it to shoot it at people and if you knew how to pop it to shoot at people, you knew how to stop it from shooting at people. You know what I mean? Like, that's a weird thing to not know the difference. I thought for sure it didn't go this way, but I thought for sure he was so scared and 
he was going to try to be brave and it was going to hit him. Like, ah! But we all know it, it does go another way. <laughs> so before that, there's, um, we get like a split screen while we're getting narration. And we're hearing from the narrator that, you know, there are two big questions a man has to ask in life. One you plan out for months. The other just slips out when you're half drunk at some bar. And you get Marshall first, who's asking Lily, will you marry me? And Ted saying, do you want to go out sometime to Yasmin? And when it ends, we get back to Lily and Marshall first. Lily's really excited, says, of course, you idiot. I don't know. It turns into like a tackle. <laughs> they end up on the ground. We go back to the bar and the reply to the will you go out with me is, I'm sorry, I'm Carl's girlfriend. Carl being the bartender at the bar. I thought this was really weird. This is weird. This doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Yeah, why are you sitting with this dude in front of your yeah. boyfriend, like, having a flirtatious conversation? You met at the bar. I could see you guys sitting at stools together, but, like, when you were introduced, even if, like, I don't know, knowing your boyfriend's there, and if this was just an innocent thing in your head, why didn't you just grab two, like, stools and sit at the bar and have a drink? And, like, oh, Carl's my boy. Like, it just didn't make sense for them to end up in the situation they were in. What, what doesn't make sense is that you later come to find out that, like, they go to the to this bar a lot and, and they know carl they know carl so they know carl's girlfriend carl's a private man okay <laughs> yeah i will say this too though it's usually the opposite way at least in my experience usually it's a female bartender and yeah. their boyfriend who's hanging out at the bar but usually if you're like a significant other is a bartender and you're like the person who hangs out at the corner of the bar all the time it's very uncomfortable and you are not comfortable with your significant other being a bartender you know what i mean like it's not like that's a weird scenario in real life maybe carl was like come on honey uh go go rake up his tab uh get me a better Tell you tip. want some champagne i thought you're gonna say it's the reverse in that I, I thought the reverse would be that like you like to go to bars and flirt with bartenders to get stronger drinks and then eventually they have to go hey sorry i'm taken no no i go to bars with my wives and they just look me in the eyes and they're like this person did you pluralize did you say wives shut up guys don't are we revealing secrets today i just usually get very strong drinks we went to old mormon joe we went to go see weird al of all people right so we're at a Romantic. big outdoor venue in new hampshire it was a great a great show so we go to see weird al we walk up to like the bar the outside ve like vendor bar or whatever and we ordered two bourbon and sodas and the woman, who's maybe like in her 40s, she like looks at my wife and she makes her like a very light drink. And then she looks at me and she just poured whiskey until there was like a quarter of an inch left in the bar. And I was like, and I was like, I don't know what she knows or doesn't know or thinks or doesn't think. But I was very happy with my drink. <laughs> the thought of you at a Weird Al concert. <laughs> that was an odd show, too, because that was when Weird Al toured with the orchestra. <laughs> also, in the parking lot that night, we watched like five people get into like a se hinton style rumble where literally the whole crowd of us show? in our cars were like what a weird rumbles in a, a weird Al show that's so strange anyways we um <laughs> sorry as an odd sidebar <laughs> yeah, we cut back to marshall and lily who we're seeing um post-proposal just had sex in the kitchen floor so that comes full circle the statement from earlier when ted was telling them specifically not to i actually this was like if if I'm being nitpicky, this is a super nitpicky thing on on my hand. Um, Lily notes, did you know there was a pop tart under your fridge? And the way he goes, no, but dibs. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't like it. I did. I don't know why. It's a, and I'm sorry, but something about that, I was like, that's so dumb. 
it's unnecessary, but also Pop-Tarts are so, I love Pop-Tarts, but they're so grossly made where you're like, they probably don't disintegrate that like you probably could eat one. R.I.P. to the maker of the Pop-Tart who died a couple of days ago. William (laughs) Tart? No, he really died a couple of days ago. Greg Pop, yeah. (laughs) Greg Pop. Um, Well, R.I.P. And his brother's snap and crackle. Before Gordo can even ask, you guys have a go-to? Go-to Pop-Tarts? Just brown cinnamon and sugar. Strawberry. Strawberry frosted. S'mores is good, too. Don't sleep on that. I would say, I mean, despite the fact that they have a million different ones now, I think, yeah, strawberry frosted and the brown cinnamon sugar one are like my two tops. I, people always love s'mores. I always thought they were disgusting. I'm with you, Nick. They're too sweet. The chocolate's weird, too. I don't like them heated, though. I like them room temperature. And Joe, I'm with you. I don't I never ever heat my pop tarts. I never heat them. Room temperature, you get a, you get the sort of like thick gelatinous middle part. It's pretty good, and they're so cheap. <laughs> it's like that was one of those things. Like I remember, like we would have them still do it. My work there, like in the vending machine, and it's one of those things that like oh, for a buck and change, you eat two pop tarts, and you're like, not. I mean, it's not the healthiest uh, meal, but like it'll get you by for a while. You know what I mean? It's you filling. Can eat two yeah, it's a healthy like, breakfast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, now I want to get pop tarts. I know I really want a pop tart right now, and I could definitely go for a pop tart. All right, we're going to, well, let's cancel this episode right now. We'll pause. Well, let's all go on a Pop-Tart run, and then we'll come back later and finish recording the rest of it. I'll be at the hospital because I ate a Pop-Tart, and I died on the toilet. Do they, they don't make any for your stomach? No, here's the thing. They do, but the ones they make that are gluten-free are, like, the same thickness as a loaf of bread. So it's not are they the same. Made, are they Pop-Tart brand, though, or, like, fake No, units? it's, okay. like, a different company. So they, there's no actual gluten-free Pop-Tart. No, there are companies who make other ones. They taste really good. It's just they're so thick that like one of them feels like eating three of them. So it's not the same level of enjoyment. William Post, by the way, uh, recently just died, and he was the inventor of the Pop Tart. Oh, Bill Post. Yeah, good old Bill Billy Post. Oh, Billy P. Uh, if you ever watch any of those, there's a million of them. Like the blanks that made us. They were like History Channel shows. They're all on Hulu now. But there's like a, the foods that made us. You can't make anyone with a blank. It has to have the substance in it. Okay, well, there's a cereal that made us one where they go through all of the history of cereal. And it's, they talk about Crispex? No, they talk about how cereal became a thing, although Crispex are very delicious. It's just interesting. It all basically, cereal basically started as a way to like treat crazy people. <laughs> They're like, we need food for crazy people. And then 100 years later, we're like, I want Lucky Charms, motherfucker. Yeah, Count Chakul's granulated horse muesli. <laughs> You want to dig through the archives of Wikipedia, you can read some great stories about Kant Chocule and how he made his cereal. In celebration of their new uh, engagement, Marshall's going to open up this bottle of champagne. He's like, you know, what was I so scared of this? This is easy. And then he pops it and, of course, hits Lily right in the eye. Which I just feel like this joke was done in Dumb and Dumber once and so well, you shouldn't do this joke again. Agreed. It killed the owl. Great pair of hooters. So now we get back to Ted and Barney at the bar. And, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, him just being paranoid again about how he's like trying to settle down. And Barney's kind of just telling him, like, you know, again, he has time. Although at first he was caught up on the idea of how did Carl get a Lebanese girl? I thought they kind of went to the well with that one one too many times. It's a little strange, right? They're really digging on it. And then like Ted saying, like, you know, if I find the love of my life, even if I was ready, which I'm not. But if I was, I'd be like, okay, I'm ready. Where is she? No sooner does he say that, he looks over, and this is when we meet Robin from the, for the first time across the bar. And 
it it is made to look like you know love at first sight as soon as they you know he catches her. Yeah, but I'm learning from this show that he was just in love with this other chick that was dating the bartender at first sight. It's like he he falls in love quite easily. He and does. I can't stand that. Sure. I just wish that they pulled the money and did the Wayne's World thing and played Dreamweaver when he saw her because yeah. that would have been like a good. It was set up very much in that way. I feel like um yeah, but the thing with the bar. Yes, I agree, Ferg, but this was set up for you to say, oh, this is it. This is, this is going to be the girl. But the problem with that is, like, just in general, knowing the show, knowing that the whole thing is how I met your mother, that can't be resolved in episode one, clearly, unless you're to believe, I guess, like, the idea that Robin's the one, but it's just the will they, won't they, and they play that out for the duration of the show until they eventually get together. Not to spoiler alert how the show ended, I did not see the ending coming. So I'll say this. I'll hold it. I'll hold it until we get to it. But I don't like how he presented it at the end, how it was verbalized, because I think that's what spoils the will they, won't they moving forward. See, I think we're going to argue on this one. Well, then we'll we'll get to it when we get to it. (laughs) We'll get there. So then the scene kind of reopens, and it's Ted looking at Robin from across the bar. And we get the narration talking about, like, basically just saying, like, how he realized in that moment, like, you know, it's those moments where you, where you think, like, I'm going to marry her someday. And then when we get out of the narration, Ted's like, hey, Barney, see that girl? And Barney's like, oh, yeah, you know, you just know she likes it dirty. And I was, again, I was like, oh, I just, I know Barney's like, a, like kind of an eccentric character. I wish. It's too forced. I wish you just dialed it to, like those lines right there are a little too much. And I was like, just bring it down to an eight, like, you know, just a little less. But that's his charm. He's always like that 100% of the time. That's his character. Yeah. It is a hard thing with a pilot, though, right? Because it works when you know him, episode four. Sure. But it might, th- it might turn you off, episode one. And then this turns into like um, another one of those situations where he wants to talk to her, doesn't know how, he's talking to Barney. And then she ends up nearby because she's at the bar now grabbing a drink. And once again, Barney does the, hi, have you met Ted? And walks off. Didn't Ted have some weird plan to like follow her to the bathroom and bump into her when she was coming out? Or was that the other girl? I, I think you're right. He was waiting by the bathroom or something? No, he said he was just going to wait until she has to go and then strategically like place himself near the jukebox. And Barney just cuts all that off. <laughs> have you met Ted? But that's where Barney's good, right? Where it's like, he's like, my friend is not going to pull this off. He's not going to follow through on this dumb plan. He's not going to sit here and wait for her to go to the bathroom. Have you met Ted? That's where this works. And they seem to have like a good, I mean, they definitely have like on-screen chemistry. So like right off the bat, you know, after that happens, you know, he says hi. And she's like, let me guess, Ted? I, I don't know. Like I, I, you could see them being together. Robin, who later became Maria Hill in Marvel. Now I can hashtag Marvel later. We'll get so many clicks. <laughs> what's her name uh kobe small smolders yeah and uh, who is she um she's married to someone that's from like snl right yeah um taron kill him taron kill him yeah who is that no that's he's probably a new new guy uh, him and fucking uh no, I what's think he's his had name his run on snl he's like he's off it by now but yeah him and um what's his name shot the fucking moon um scarlett johansson's husband there oh colin jost yeah Jesus, the, both these dudes are just like your typical like fucking dorky looking white guys, and they they did pretty well. Oh well, sure, I, and and no knock on either of them. You know, Colin Jones is a handsome man, 
But I yeah. think more in the case with that one over over this one, Scarlett Johansson is like at a, a different level of not I'm not saying attractiveness, but like level of celebrity. Like she's such a top tier kind of celebrity that you go, Well, really? Cause like Colin Josie just think of like the weekend update guy. Like <laughs> so Yeah. It, Funny. That no, for sure. In all fairness, he's the only thing I think is funny about SNL now. Me too. I like a lot more. We've had, but we've had that debate a bunch of times. Um, I, I still find it entertaining at times, and I know, um, I know Joe still watches. So we cut back again, and now Marshall and Lily are getting in a cab, uh, trying to take her to the hospital from this cork injury she just <laughs> sustained. And as they're getting in, the cab driver's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Did you just hit her?" And they both start laughing. And this was again. <sighs> I don't want to be overly negative, but I felt like Lily's like the way she's like, hit me, please. This guy could barely spank me in bed for fun. And then the way she like, I think that line would have been fine. But the way she goes out with the, he's all like, oh, honey, did that hurt? And I'm like, come on, let me have it. You pansy. I was, I was like, I don't, that was, um, I, a, a little they're leaning me. into her American pie. Character. Exactly. Uh, super exactly. horny. That's what exactly. they're trying yeah. to do there. But this cab driver also turns into the cab driver from uh, Home Alone 2, where he's like, not much better in here, kid. Where he's like, oh, was it panties or all natural? <laughs> like, oh, no, fuck this guy. No. Also, if I was you, eventually we meet a different cab driver who becomes a character on this show. They should have made that cab driver this cab driver who is with them the whole night. Like, why introduce a secondary character? You're Because that's it, not it, how cab drivers work. You don't get the same one. I thought it was the same cab. Wasn't it the same cab driver the whole episode? No, it's two different cab drivers because then they get Ranjit. Ah, so, well, with the cab, if I was to defend the cab driver here for being a creep, (laughs) I will say this. It starts off with him being innocent, like, hey, did you hit her? And she's the one who, like, takes it to that level immediately with the whole spanking thing. So maybe now he's like, oh, let's see where this goes. You know what I mean? Because it was unprompted when she starts talking about being spanked. I think, yeah, they they went a little overboard, and I think it would have been funnier if he didn't believe them, and he just keeps treating him like he's an asshole because he thinks he hit his wife. Yeah, like it was just a cover-up, and he still just, like, has disdain for him the whole time. That would have been funny. Yeah. Also, there's no way, if I was in that situation, when I got in the cab, the first thing I wouldn't have said is, like, like Mercy Hospital. Also, I did not hit her. We just had a really weird moment. Like, I would have to start giving the story. I did not hit her. <laughs> That's something that somebody hit would hit somebody would say. Maybe. We get back to the bar and we see Ted and Robin who are talking now and she tells him how she's a news reporter, but she kind of does like those little fluff pieces. The talks about like, uh, you know, the monkey who can play ukulele, but she's hoping to get some bigger stories. And he's like, oh, like a gorilla with an upright bass. Like, I thought that was like, he's good in the moment. You know what I mean? I like he's, yeah, it's like, it was a comfortable enough joke where like they're vibing and they're having a, a, a nice little conversation. Also a gorilla playing an upright bass to me is weirdly funnier than a monkey in a ukulele. Sure. Very <laughs> Hanna-Barbera. Yes. And then Robin's like, Oh, I can't talk to you for too long. And we see all our friends at the table in the back. I guess one of her friends just went through a breakup. So this is kind of a, all guys suck meetup night. She can't start flirting with some dude. It's going to kind of throw everything off. I know we're coming at this from a male perspective and it might be different, but like, I feel like we've all been in situations where we've all been with each other on like a rough night when someone got broken up with and it's never turned into like, man, fuck all girls. So I was just like, that girl sucks, dude. Bummer. Like it's never like, it seems let's get you laid. Like, (laughs) 
No, I mean, realistically, it would have been like any other time we're at a bar. Like we wouldn't have ended up flirting with girls, not through solidarity, but just because we're not good with that stuff at bars. <laughs> so it just wouldn't have happened naturally. Yeah, we're not the like, can I buy you a drink, people? This is not the character. I mean, Nick tried that and ended up buying the girl and her boyfriend a drink. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite memories is about offering that, yeah. to buy a girl a drink and then ha- ends up going, sure, will you buy my boyfriend one too? <laughs> I'll take, I'll take yeah, it's like, I'll take a champagne and like a fucking Jack and Coke. Nick, like, did you end up, you ended up buying them both drinks, right? I don't think I did. I don't remember. I remember buying her one. I don't remember buying another one. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> like... I don't think you were sober. It's an awkward moment, so you might. That's true. If I was drunk, I could have done anything. And this was like 20 years ago at Hong Kong, so it was probably like a $2 beer, so it wouldn't have really set you back. God, what was the beer on draft there? Moosehead? Moosehead. Yeah, Moosehead yeah, it was so gross. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> I went for the chicken teriyaki. I didn't care what they had for, for booze. What a fucking smart move that bar had. They'll just fill you full of $2 beers and then walk around with chicken fingers and chicken teriyaki on fucking things for a dollar. Man. I bought a lot of teriyaki sticks there. You know what's crazy, though? 20 years later, there's still a dollar. That is crazy. It also speaks volumes to the quality of the chicken there. You <laughs> that bar's yeah. still open? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like one wow. of the only like consistently popular places. Like everybody, It's a very big karaoke place. Yes. Ted's telling her, well, you know, if it's going to make your friends feel any better, you can maybe throw a drink in my face or something. Like, I don't really mind. He asks, hey, do you want to have dinner Saturday night? And she's like, oh, I can't. I'm going to Orlando for the week. She's got to cover some, like, um, the world's biggest pancake. That doesn't seem like an Orlando thing to me. Florida man makes world's biggest pancake? Nah, that sounds like a Midwest thing. Yeah, it's a very Midwest. But in any event, you know, she's about to take off, and he's like, you know what? Hey, what about tomorrow night? She's like, let's expedite this before you have to leave. And she's like, yeah, you know, what the hell? She, like, slides her business card to Ted, but then throws the drink in his face because her friends had been looking over at her like, hey, what the hell's taking so long? So they have, like, this fun little interaction. You know, she yells jerk at him, throws the water. Those friends would have been over there in seconds. He's not, she's not interested. <laughs> not funny. Real pocket rock. <laughs> Barty walks up, and he's, like, in hysterics because he thinks it's funny that he just got denied. But Ted reveals, you know, the card and that they're actually going out tomorrow. Barney was upset, though, because he was under the impression they were going to play laser tag, which Ted says, yeah, I was never going to do that. I do appreciate, though, when they do the callback to him playing laser tag later, they do make fun of him for being a 12-year-old boy. Now, did Ted lie and say up until this moment that he would have played laser tag with them? Because that's a dick move. If you're not going to play, just be honest about it. Don't lead him on. It seems like Barney is the type of person who asks Ted to go laser tag literally every day. So, I mean, like, you can't, you can only, you know, commit so many times. Yeah, it's kind of like how he assumes that he's his best friend, and he's not. It's, I think he just assumes he's going to do laser tag with him. How long ago was the last any of you have played laser tag? It has to have been 20 years. I think I've only played it twice in my life. Yeah, um, I played it a I used to go times, a lot. But... Maybe one of my good times birthday parties. <laughs> no, we, there was a place up in Route 1. I used to go all the time with a person that we went to high school with. I don't think I've played since I was legally an adult. Yeah, like definitely not when I could have purchased alcohol. If I no. did, it was like a birthday party, but I don't think anyone had a birthday party when we were at that age. And also, one of the places near us was one of the most lax places about carding for alcohol ever anyway. So once we got to a point where like you could even have stubble, you were like, I'm just going to go there to drink. I'm not going to. I have a laser tag memory of when we were younger. It was one of Ferg's birthdays, and we were all playing laser tag. 
and somehow just about everybody from Ferg's party, I forget how young we were, we must have been like 13, all of us got kicked out within the game, like asked to leave the laser tag to the point where that other team was just running around with no one to shoot because we had all been individually <laughs> removed from that game for various reasons. <laughs> like hiding the sensors. <laughs> I, for, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you what I specifically did to get kicked out, but I know I got kicked out. And the next thing I know, two more people come out and then a few more people come out. And you're like, who's still in there? <laughs> and it's just fucking all these other random kids are probably just running around. like, What the fuck? <laughs> Good times. Good times are good times. R.I.P. We flash forward and now we're actually there for Robin and Ted's date. So they're at this restaurant and they're sitting there and they're like admiring this French horn that's on the wall, which is painted blue. <laughs> and this is what I looked up, by the way. You can get like cards, toys, keychains, everything. But when I looked up actually buying a blue French horn, very expensive. So now is it because they were made as a like a replica prop for the show or do blue French horns exist for some reason? No. So people obviously started painting them after this show, but a French horn, like a woodwind instrument is expensive, right? It's not, not a cheap thing anyway. So then they can ask even more if you really wanted a, a blue it's one. A horn, right? So not woodwind. Is there no reed? No, no, you just, it's like not a trumpet. French horn. Oh, no. okay. You're right. I'm thinking of like a saxophone. Hey, you big idiot. Don't you even know music? Anything about strings I can't play. <laughs> and even then, a little dicey. Well, as they're looking on at this French horn, Ted in his awkward small talk mentions that it looks like a Smurf penis. What does he think a Smurf's penis looks like? Yeah. A French Other horn. A French horn. <laughs> Other than the fact that it was blue, it's a little bit of a stretch. That's a stretch. Let's think well, what you'd have like... to do to the Smurf penis to make it work because it was curled up pretty tight. Looks like a duck penis. But he lucks out because, like, he acknowledges that that was, like, a really dumb thing to say in a date. But Robin's receptive, and she's, like, laughing at it. And that's when, you know, through narration, you know, we get the ad- admitting that, like, Robin's no ordinary girl. Like, she's special. And the fact that they're vibing and she could laugh at the Smurf penis joke was, like, an indicator of that. Real Gargamel. Well, that stuff's important, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that is stuff that's very detectable in early dates is do you guys have a similar humor level, which I think is one of the most important things. Uh, The very first date, everyone, I'm with my wife. We were at a pizzeria Uno and they had a clock that you get a cookie Sunday. I did. Well, I may have actually back then I could have eaten anything. Yeah, I'm sure I ate a humongous amount of deep dish pizza, which is probably not the thing you want to eat on a date. Uh, but the clock said Chicago, Illinois, but it was all pushed together. And I made a joke that it said chill and that the clock only rings at 311 and had that moment where I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then she laughed and I was like, oh, OK, OK. <laughs> Fifteen years later, here we are. When I when I went on the first date with my wife, my wife was explaining to me that she was from Poland. And in my stupid brain blurted out. So can you speak Polish? <laughs> And she looked at me and was like, what? And I went, well, well, can you speak Polish? And she goes, only when I rub mint on myself and howl at the moon. She's like, of course, I'm from Poland. I thought it was over right then and there. Now, here's a question for you, Gordo. Have you gleaned any since then? Can you say anything? Do you understand when she speaks in it? She's, uh, it, it's the same thing with Spanish. If they slow it down like they're talking to a two-year-old. Yes, like my niece, I can understand when they talk to her. But 
if she's just having a conversation with her family, absolutely not. Like they just speak too fast. I could pick out every couple of words and mostly it's just dubja, 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 dubja. I was just holding Google Translate up. (laughs) Um, Yes, actually, Google has an app that you can tap and then it will translate it for you in real time. So that's what I rely on. But I can say like, watch out, car. (laughs) You know the important things, that's just good. Gordo, we're on a farm right now. That's all I can say. I'm sorry. Uvaga. Samohud. Umaga. Samoan. So anyways, um, now we get to a scene where it's Lily and Marshall, and they're sitting on the couch in the apartment, and now Lily has an eye patch on over her eye because of the incident. When Marshall goes to talk to her, she jumps because she's blocked on one side, doesn't realize that he's next to her. Ted walks in slowly after, and he's telling them right away, like, hey, guys, like, I found, you know, the future Mrs. Ted Mosby. And he's kind of going over, like, to Marshall, like, hey, remember, like, all these ways I described, like, my perfect woman? And we get in the flashbacks back and forth. So as Marshall's describing something, then we cut over and we see it, like, happening live in the date. So he says she likes dogs. We find out Robin has five dogs. Too many dogs. Well, that's a lot. It is a lot. In an, apar- an apartment? Yeah. Yes. Then there's the, she drinks scotch, and then you cut to her ordering, like, you know, a scotch. And how she likes scotch that's so old that it's old enough to drink scotch. Uh, we've had the scotch talk. Not my favorite in that, uh, that group. Nope. I, give me a bourbon um, is, like, my go-to for that stuff. And then the Ghostbusters. Can she uh, quote obscure lines from Ghostbusters? I'm sorry. This isn't an obscure line. Thank Fuck you, you, Ferg. I knew it. I had my notes, too. I was like, this is not an obscure line. This is a, one of the most quotable lines from Ghostbusters 1. Um, One of the most quotable ones? Yes. Yes. I'm not as familiar with the old shittier Ghostbuster movies. I'm <laughs> oh, more, oh, fuck me. you. I'm more aware of the 2016 classic, personally. Can you quote any lines from that movie? No. Yeah, okay, there it is. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Jay, what are the oft-quoted lines from your shitty Ghostbusters? You know what's funny? <laughs> is like, so the scene that I'm, if, if any of you guys are new to the show, we've talked about it a bunch, but I'm, I'm like uh, just an extra in the 2016 Ghostbusters. Which Jay never likes to bring up, so... Well, when Ghostbusters naturally comes up on a show, I think that's a golden opportunity. I spent a week at like the concert scene, right? And there was a song that they played over and over. So I heard this for a week, them playing this clip of a song for to get all these various shots. And I re- I used to remember that song, and even that's like escaping my head now, you know, eight years later. Was it that Fallout Boy song? It was a fake song. It was just a song that was written for the movie for the band Beasts of Mayhem was the fake band that's playing on the stage. Actually, the comedian Adam Ray was the guy who played the lead singer. You would see him now a lot. He does a lot of clips. He's been doing a lot of touring as Dr. Phil for like comedy shows, but it's, uh, it's that guy. He was the guy who played the, the singer of the band. But anyways, you know, that's the better Ghostbusters movie. Mm. Um, but again, all this is just to prove that Robin is Ted's dream girl. And then most importantly, they get into the Olive Theory, which was based on when Marshall and Lily went on their first date, Lily asked Marshall if she can eat the olives from his salad. He said, yes, I don't like olives. And that's how they figure balance. One likes them, one doesn't. The theory being every relationship's going to have one person who loves olives and one who doesn't. So the fact that she doesn't like, Robin doesn't like olives, and Ted does aids to this theory. Now, do you guys like olives? I don't like nope. olives. Nope, I hate, I hate olives. olives. But my, my wife loves them. I don't like black but olives. But I love you all. <laughs> I like all the other olives, though. I like any olives. 
You know how I started liking olives? Martinis. See, I don't like martinis because of the olives. That's how I got acquainted with olives. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that I liked olives. I was always like, what are these awful things on this pizza that are ruining this pizza? Black olives don't really have a taste. I think black olives are one of the only things besides chicken that can ruin a pizza. It's a very overwhelming flavor. Mm-hmm. And it seeps in through the cheese. Well, one of you said they have no taste. The other said they have an overwhelming flavor. I know we're going to talk about pizza again, and we have in the past, but I truly hate Nick's weird take on not liking chicken on pizza. It doesn't belong. It doesn't belong on pizza. Why is there chicken on pizza? I'm with Nick on this one. Why is there anything on pizza? You can make that argument with any topping. It dries it out. It's dried out. It is, because you can't put raw chicken on pizza, so you have to cook it first, and then you have to bake it again. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't need to be there. It's dry. It's gross. It weighs the pizza down. There's a thousand other things you could put on a pizza that are way better than chicken. Chicken on pizza like is put, silly. You like, just onions on everything, though. Yeah, you go to onion pizzas. First of all, onion pizza is good. A garlic <laughs> and onion pizza, yeah. You're not going to smell good, but it's delicious. My go-to is a sausage onion. Why is sausage, sausage okay? pizza? Why is, yeah, why is sausage okay on a pizza, not chicken? Because it's at least it has the the ability to be like greasy. Like it's no different than pepperoni. It's just thicker. Yeah, sausage pepperoni. I think you're fine for meats. I mean, for me, the way I always did that was you also get an order of chicken on the side. You can have buffalo chicken and pizza separately at the same time. It's a perfect pairing. Yeah, did like the world at one day decided. That buffalo chicken needs to be on and in literally everything. And it, it's silly. It's a fucking, it's offensive to food. That you just like this fucking buttery buffalo sauce and chicken. Oh, I love buffalo chicken. I just like it separate. Uh, listen, I like buffalo chicken too. I'll, I'll have buffalo chicken wings all day. I don't need it in dips and on pizzas and in calzones. Like just fucking let it be the wings the way it was meant to be. Next time we go, me and Ferg will share a buffalo chicken. Gordo, you can have some of Nick's onion pizza with him. <laughs> and we all know Joe won't be there. So <laughs> I will zoom in and I'll eat pizza from here. Well, I'm not going to drive 100 miles to get pizza with you guys. Come on, we have to have more than that. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we have to perform for you as well? <laughs> well, it's a lot of driving for one for just to eat and turn and burn. So after they get into the whole olive theory, we cut back to the date and robin saying you know i have a whole jar of olives sitting in my fridge and he's like oh i can take them off your hands and she said you know they're all yours again if we're gonna get nitpicky here why would someone who has an apartment by themselves who hates olives have a jar of olives in their fridge to bring home guys that don't that love olives maybe she subscribes to the olive theory she was on a date she brought somebody home and he was like i'm gonna make you dinner and make you drinks and she was he was gonna make her martinis to i be could like see fancy. her maybe buying them one day because she was she was gonna like host people and needed them for cocktails that's the only way well there you go maybe she's like a classy girl like she likes scotch and shit maybe she has a whole bar so she has those for if she makes martinis and stuff but at this point, everything obviously looks too good to be true, right? Like, there's no way we could even believe that they're going to end up together because it's too perfect too early in a series. That would be a very quick series if he met the mother in, like, minute 12. I was saying this earlier. We'll get, it, we'll get to it when we get to it at the end. The way it's worded, I don't love. But this could have been the story of the two of them, and they could have gone through all the typical sitcom makeup breakups and he's just telling the prolonged story of the two of them. 
But we'll get into it, I guess, at the end uh, when it actually naturally comes about. So then we cut back to the apartment, and Lily's like, well, what are you doing home so early if everything was going so well? Once again, we cut over, and we see them walking over to Robin's house. He's going to collect on these olives, and they're having some chatter back and forth. They're joking. She's talking about how she wants to get one of those blue French horns for her fireplace. They're walking up to her steps, and, like, they're just about to, like, head in, and that's when, like, the news van pulls up for where Robin works and like again a little unbelievable that this team has just been driving around in circles looking for like we've been looking everywhere for you like what <laughs> yeah the impetus for them driving around is there's a possible jumper on the Manhattan Bridge you don't circle around looking for the reporter because what if they fucking jump like you're you're going to be there right they need her for that story so she has to hop in the van and she's, you know, obviously she's in the situation where despite the fact that she's had a nice evening, like this is a big story for her, especially where she's usually covering pancakes and monkeys playing instruments. So she reluctantly has to kind of take off and, you know, says bye and no kiss, no kiss. We find out. I kind of think it would have been nice if they did kiss here, but it was almost like n- no buildup. Like, remember how in the office, like the first time Jim and Pam actually kisses at the Dundies? And they made it like an insignificant moment. Yeah. Like, and I, I really kind of like that. And I almost feel like she could have kissed him here and just been like, oh shit, I gotta go and give him like a quick kiss and ran off. And he's just kind of like stumped, like standing there. Like, I, I think that could have kind of worked. Instead, it's just him now telling Marshall and Lily that he didn't feel like it was the right time. In dates, in situations like that, how do you feel? Do you guys overthink the first kiss? Because like, I, I mean, I guess I don't. I, I think we, a lot of things are expedited modern day, but... Uh, I think the younger you are, the more you overthink it. I mean, she was trying to take him home to go to Pound Town. That was the whole olive thing. I have them in my apartment, so I think she would have been fine with it. Yeah, she invited him over clearly in a sexual advance. I, I was going to say, unless a date's bad, I can't imagine not kissing on the first date, you know? I can see people not wanting to go all the way. Some people would That's rather me. wait, but uh, Gordo's been... You know, what'd you say? You and your wife said on your five-year anniversary you're going to have sex? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But but no, but like, you know. But it's a Polish calendar and they're only at year one right now. He's just trying to figure out how to read it. (laughs) Unfortunately, their first date was on a leap year. (laughs) (laughs) But the, uh, the the first kiss on a first date, I feel like it's almost pretty much standard unless you both. Even kind of when you don't like the person, it still kind of happens most of the time, right? Like, just like it's a good night thing. No. I feel like that's been a debate since, like, we were kids and probably far beyond that. Like, do you kiss on the first date? It's like... Yeah, no- when you're kids, but I feel like once you're in that age, like, it doesn't have to be, like, a passionate kiss, but I feel like the goodbye kiss would it's like, a no big deal at that point. I mean, we're also at a point now, too, where people are like... Yeah, so I blew him. <laughs> it's just like it means nothing. You know what I mean? Like, generations. <laughs> but, like, am I wrong? Like, the generations have changed so much. It's like, I didn't really like him, but he was nice and he bought me fucking buffalo chicken. So I blew him anyway. I'd never call him again. Like, that's where we're at now. So I'm not going to sleep with him because he was on a pizza. So I blew him. <laughs> but, like, you know. Like, so I think it's totally different now. <laughs> am I wrong? Come on. <laughs> So there's a little bit of a debate, though, on whether or not he should have kissed her. He just wanted their first kiss to be amazing because he already has it built in his head that these two are going to get married. Marshall's pulling back on him a little bit. Lily thought it was kind of sweet. 
I get like extreme Ross. You compared this to Friends earlier. I get extreme Ross vibes from him. With the you need the perfect moment, the hopeless romantic, the let's get married shit. That's all Ross qualities. And he's a little neurotic. But he's a little bit more charismatic. Like he's he's good talking to these girls. Like he's had he's been charming talking to her, even when he's talking to Yasmin. Like he had some good lines talking to her. So I mean, different in that regard. He goes to call um Barney to kind of verify like his decision. And that's when you get Barney like in the midst of playing laser tag. <laughs> I thought that was a fun, like, cutaway scene to see that, like, you know, he wasn't going to let Ted stop him from playing. The suit up thing got me going. Got me got me going, yeah. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris in a suit. <laughs> you really got you going? Gets me going. Did the time throw anybody else off here? Because So they've had this date. They went to dinner. They have gone home. They've kissed. Or not kissed, rather. Now he's like, it didn't work. I went back to the apartment. All stuff is happening. And then we cut back to Neil Patrick Harris, and he's playing laser tag with children. Yeah, it does seem like an exceptionally long night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sitcom life. But yeah, for sure. I mean, because it's probably about 10 o'clock at night at this point, I'd imagine. I mean, maybe they're teenagers. Ted's telling Barney, like, hey, I need, to, I need your opinion on something. So Barney's like, all right, meet me at the bar in 15 minutes. And then, you know, we, we cut to, suit to them up at the bar. Too. Yeah, he tells them to suit up. So now they're all sitting at a small table, and Ted's like, so these guys think I chickened out. What do you think? And Barney's still fixated on the fact that he's not wearing a suit. And Ted's saying, she didn't even give me a signal. And Barney's like, what is she going to do? Like, is he going to bat her eyes in, like, in Morse code? And like, then he does like the eye blink thing, which I, I thought that was pretty funny. Can you still learn Morse code? I would love to learn Morse code Anyone or like semaphore. It. Yeah, it, yes. it still exists. It's a big thing in amateur radio, actually. It used to be the, uh, you used to need to know it to pass the amateur radio test, but the government got rid of that because too many people weren't passing because they couldn't learn Morse code. You just need to learn SOS. That's another thing you need to know, yeah. Isn't that the... Yeah. That was like the thing that was like on the ringtone. Thanks, Nokia. Barney's further trying to explain that you don't need a signal to go in for it. So he just gets up and just kisses Marshall and like, look, did Marshall give me a signal? And Marshall's like, no. And then he looks at Lily. I didn't. I swear. I, 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 didn't thought, really I, I, was, I, I thought that was funny. With yeah. like Marshall nervous now that his fiance is going to be upset that he was just kissed by Barney. He's so funny, though, that he makes he sells this so well that you can't not laugh at it. Because there's that like innocence in his eyes when he looks over at her. This is all in the same night, right? That he proposes. This is a to very her? long night, yeah. Well, not from when they first meet. From when they first meet, then it cuts to the following day is when the ah, date. Ah, okay, happens. all right, that's what. It yeah, was. the date okay. is the next night. So now Ted's like, now he's realizing that he should have kissed her, and now he's like, well, I guess in a week when she gets back from Orlando, and Barney's like getting in his head, like in a week she's gonna forget you even existed. So you know you have to act sooner. Going, mark my words, you'll never see that one again. No sooner does he say that, we see on the television at the bar, boom, there's Robin, and it's like her, you know, doing her news story. She's just reporting the guy, the jumper, and he ended up not not jumping. So it's a happy story. I'm sorry, they separated a long time ago. He went all the way back to the apartment, had his conversations, met up with Bar- went back to the bar, met up with Barney, and did all this talking. She's just. Now finishing the news story. <laughs> well, the person may have been hanging out on the ledge for a while, though. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're, ca- we're catching the conclusion of the story, you know, and they met up 15 minutes after. So 15 minutes, let's say they were talking for 10, 25 minutes when they get there. It's, it's all plausible. 
and again, sitcoms. So like, you know, nothing has to make total sense. What if he fake jumped off the bridge like uh, the movie Copland? Oh, maybe. By Stallone. That's what we said Stallone had to drink all the ice cream for. As they're watching this, this is when Ted decides, I'm going to go kiss her like right now. Also, Barney here, when he's giving him the pep talk, is like, you should do what that guy couldn't do. Take the leap, which I think is the funniest line in the whole fucking episode. (laughs) Yeah. And then for some reason, they're all going to go with him. No, I get this. It's not a good idea, but they're like, hey, look, we're this crew, and you think this person's going to be with you forever, then we should be there for the moment to when watch they come you kiss into her? our crew, too. <laughs> I think you're wrong about that. I think they're going because they know him. He already blew it once, and they're going to try to push him to do it. They think he'd back out. Okay, that's a better reason, I think. That makes more it's... sense. I think you're right, yeah. Well, fuck me. <laughs> I mean, mine's not confirmed. It's not. I'm not definitely right. <laughs> You could be. Ferg's like texting with the producer of the show right now. It's like, yeah, that's actually a reason. So now they're in this, this other cab. Before they go to Robin's apartment, Ranjit, uh, the driver, has to pull over at this restaurant, the restaurant that they went on the date. And you cut to Ted, like, running into the restaurant and stealing the blue French horn off the wall and then, like, running out. All I could think of is, like, if him and Robin worked up, you would want to have your anniversary at where you had your first date. Now you can never go back there. You fucked up, Ted. <laughs> it's true. I thought they could have um, been funnier about how he retrieved it. Yeah. That could have been like a whole scene. You know what I mean? Like in him trying to get it. I mean, he almost got chased out. But it was just a smart waiter being like, I'm not going to chase this guy who might be crazy and stab me over a fucking French horn that's hanging on the wall here. Well, yeah, it's not. I, hey, I just work here. I don't actually give a shit. <laughs> I've chased a shoplifter before at a job, in a retail job, and halfway through that run, when I was like half a mile down the road, I was like, what if this guy stabs me? (laughs) And I'm just trying to stop him from stealing Levi's. Like, this seems like a bad fucking move. They pull up to Robin's house, and Ted's like, all right, it's the moment of truth. Wish me luck. And, you know, he heads out, and they're rooting him on, and he, like, heads to the door. The narration kicks in. That's when I forgot one thing. Five dogs. So yeah, when he hears those dogs, he's like, uh, yeah, I can't do this. And he's about to leave and he's going to walk back to the taxi cab and they're all trying to shout at him not to do it, to just, you know, get back over there. And in the moment of all that commotion, Robin up in her apartment can hear everything going on and like looks out the window and sees Ted and like, Ted, he's like, uh, I was just, um, and he holds up the French horn and she invites him in French horn, French kiss, French class. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no? And I shrunk the kids. Well, it's, I get it. French class. I want to know why they didn't write in the joke that he walks in and gets mauled by five giant fucking dogs. <laughs> Angry dogs with olives on their breath. That's an awkward, because that's an awkward scene <laughs> to have him mauled by five dogs. Not even literally mauled. Just jump. You dogs get excited. Jump on him and kiss him. Anything. Just show the dogs that you talked about. But did you kiss her? Like, no, but I kissed her dog. <laughs> Easy joke. I think that they did good here i like this with all the dogs staring at him because that's how like my dog would act i will say this though i love dogs if i met a girl and i was like i think she's the one i walked in her house and she's like here are my five dogs i'd be like maybe she's not the one five dogs is a lot a lot of poo poo to pick up i liked um the conversation that's still happening in the cab as he's heading up and barney's asking ranjit if um he's ever been with any lebanese girls i know they've gone too far with that joke but the way it pans out here he's like um actually i'm from bangladesh and he's like oh how are the women out there and he like 
Randy like proudly died. shows a picture of his wife, almost to be like, "You tell me." <laughs> and he, Barney looks over to Marshall and is like, "A simple no would have sufficed." <laughs> and he's I the girls died. Yeah, that is, is. She's very lovely. It's so mean because like he probably heard him, but maybe he didn't. Because uh, I don't think he did. That was like a very Patrick Bateman line too. Like a simple no would have sufficed. Like it's so quick and cutting. It's the sitcom whisper where. The audience can hear it perfectly loud, but the person who's like a foot away can't, even though it's loud and clear. Yeah. Because people are laughing and they can't hear them talk over the laughter. Oh, over the laughter that that is in the real world. <laughs> yes. So we get back into the apartment and now Robin's trying to see why he showed up and he's using the excuse that he was just there to collect on those olives and all of these nuts. <laughs> You got Joe too. He's trying to hide. Uh, it's like three, maybe four in a row. Gordo actually got a good one in. Gordo had to hear the word "olive" said eight hundred times before he made thought before he put that joke together. But you weren't expecting it. I do like, I mean, Robin's extremely flirty with him. As much as he needs all these signals, like, she's coming on strong. She's horny. She's like, well, would you like these olives with some gin and vermouth? You know, she's offering to, get, to make him a drink, and she's getting very close to him. She, it's Every signal is there at all times. She turns on some music. And he does what you're supposed to do in those situations. You meet a girl, she's into you, you're about to have naked time, and you just flat out tell her you love her. <sighs> I gasped with them at that part. Like All the characters did. So did I. Oh, no. It was just the fact that it starts innocent enough with the, uh, I think I like your new French horn. And she goes, I think I like your nose. And by doing that, she's getting closer to his face. And then he just does that. I think I'm in love with you. And then it's just like, like, just as a watcher, like, just like from home, you go, oh, no. Yeah, you're like, no, why, don't do that. Why'd you say that? This is... What drives me nuts about this show, though, is that he's such a dong the entire series. Yeah. Like, he just, I don't know. Like, I get, like, that that's his character quirk and everything, but it's to the point where it's like, okay, you might need to see a doctor because you're so, you're socially bad at every interaction you have. It's, sir, like, I'm almost sorry, unbelievable. You've got terminal dongdom. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It really, he just really rubs me the wrong way. Does this feel like a missed opportunity, though, when she could have said, I love you, instead of, I think I'm in love with you, and then she said what, and he said olive juice? No, but I think they needed the awkwardness, right? Like, he can't bail out of it. It has to be that he said something dumb and scared her away. They say, I think I'm in love, and they started singing Eddie Money's great hit. We also find out around the same time this is happening that the whole olive theory thing is kind of a sham, because Lily escaped the car during that whole, like, Barney scene where he's asking about Lebanese girls again. She was just kind of had her fix. So she exited the car. And then while that happened, Barney's talking to Marshall. He's like, Hey, that whole olive thing. Like, I forget like a week ago or something, they were somewhere and he was eating olives, you know, when Lily wasn't around, he's like, what's up with that? And that's when we find out that secretly he does like olives, but it was the first date. I think he said he was a virgin at the time. Like he didn't know what to do. So he just pretended he didn't like olives just for the sake of the date. And he just kind of, he's been stuck in this for years. I do like Barney in this situation, though. The fact that he's not so interconnected with all of them, but he's sort of on the outside. It works for this 
situation because I feel like yeah, because you can he's close enough to be able to be real with them. You know what I mean? Like because you're you're close enough to the situation. But he'll also tell them the truth because it's not like he's telling his best friend. And during that whole conversation too is when Barney's telling him like you know there's no need to lie about this. Like you like olives. Like tell her you like olives and but you're too scared to do anything. And then Marshall admits that he is scared about a lot of things. And one thing that he's not scared about is spending his, you know, the rest of his life with Lily while he's having this conversation and talking about how much it's like the one thing that he hasn't questioned. Lily's returning to the car and overhears it. So that's when she pops her head in, you know, through the window of the car and Marshall finally admits, like, I have to tell you something. I I like olives. And she's like, we'll figure it out. And they go for the kiss. So there's a resolve to the situation. I'm glad, though, too, because that seems like a weird thing to get in a fight about 10 years later. Yeah. Like eight, 18 years later, having an argument over, like, college tuition. And he's like, I fucking like olives. It's like yeah. the end of the relationship, you know? But that also sounds like a very plausible argument 10 years later. To I bring liked up. olives the whole time, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and I hate your mom. It's that things like that end up like you hold it in for so long and then th- you end up just saying it at the complete wrong time under the wrong context. But yes, when we, when uh, we get back to Robin's apartment, now we're at this point where the two of them are just sitting there silently because of this awkward, I love you revelation that just happened. And he's trying to change the subject. And he's like, so um, Orlando, are you going to hit Disney world? And she's like, you love me. And he's like, I can't believe I said that. Like who says that? Like that, you know, that's such a messed up thing to, to say. And then, as he's about to leave, she's like, hold on, wait a minute. Like, and goes to give him like the olives. Like, here's those olives. I promise you. And he's like, oh, thanks. I love you. Oh, what's wrong with me? Like, I like that. He said it again in that moment. He just can't not say it. I guess the doubling down made it better. There's also the part of this where you could say, Hey, she's being sweet and trying to soften the blow and be like, take the olives, bud. Like no hard feelings. Let's end this on a sweet way. The way I read it is, Oh, I'm not letting this guy leave all these stupid fucking olives in my fridge <laughs> that I don't want here. Like, she still is going to give him her trash. We go back to the cab and like, they've been waiting around. So Barney's like, what are we doing? Like, let's just get out of here. We can, we can hit the bar and still make last call. And then he starts making fun of Lily using a pirate accent and saying like, yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum because she has that eye patch on. And that's enough to make her go like, you know, enough of this. And she takes the eye patch off. Why doesn't she have at least a black eye? Like they couldn't have done anything to make there's it look nothing like there. Yeah, there's nothing. Like maybe do maybe something. the cork hit her directly in the eyeball and not on anywhere else around. They should have gave her like a, a just a flat out white contact then to make it look super <laughs> awkward. But I thought that was like a missed opportunity to at least I don't know give her some makeup or something so we knew what was going on. So they keep talking for a little bit in the car afterwards and a few more jokes. So I wait, we get a start talking about doggy style for a minute. They both laugh at this, and I laughed at them laughing at it. Because the idea was that, do you think they're doing it in front of the dogs? <laughs> and then the, it's like, yeah, maybe doggy style. And yeah, the two of them have like a little, I guess that was good. Like the two of them having a little bit of a connection there was good. Because earlier I said like they're both just kind of Ted's friend, but they're not really friends with one another. It's a good pilot scene to make them. I don't think they're just Ted's friend, though, because he knows that he likes olives because they were hanging out and he ate a whole bunch of olives. And it's just the two of them. But we don't know that Ted wasn't with them at the time. I assume not. It's what I got from the story, but I maybe I was just assuming. But eventually they get that, you know, they take off in the cab. They're going to head to the bar. No sooner does that happen. Ted's walking outside. So now Ted and Robin are kind of just having this awkward 
you know, all right, well, time for you to leave type of moment. <laughs> and she's like, good night, psycho. <laughs> I appreciate that she calls him a psycho and like they're joking about it. But I feel like she'd also be like, I never want to talk to this guy again. Like she really feels like he might be a bit of a psycho. It, well, this is this too. Like, so now that, um, you know, they're gone, he's going to have to go to the train. He asks her how to get to get on the train from where he's at. He starts walking away and then he kind of turns around. And he's like, you know what? I'm done being single and talking about how he's going to be like a good husband and a good father and all this stuff. And like, what's wrong with like being in love? And it's just like, it's still, I, you know, it's not that Ted's not a good guy. And I don't think like she's even under the impression that he's not, but again, this is, this is a lot to put on someone. You just told her that you love her. And then when you make it awkward and you start leaving, your way is to double down and be like, I'll be a great husband. Like, dude. And nothing to lose at this point. I guess but now, so. Now you're going even harder. Here's my problem with it. Is why is he so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, why does he think he deserves this? Like, what, like, he just feels like he is, like, automatically, just because he's saying these things, like, he should be, he should get what he wants. And it just doesn't make any sense. Like, you have fucked this up at every step. Okay, there's no reason that she should be, you know, continuing this pursuit. And you're just like, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to be a good husband. It's just so fucking dumb. Like, it, it, it actually it bugs me. I don't like him at all. And I'm having trouble I'm, like I'm seeing with past you, Nick. how much I don't like Ted. Well, I'll say this. I mean, I his reasoning's wrong, too. Like, he doesn't he doesn't want to just be with her. He just doesn't want to be single anymore. He's desperate for a relationship. To a degree, yes. And I think that's, on. I think, I think the, the Yasmin thing hurt it in a way because now it looks like he just falls in love with everybody. So it kind of takes away from the connection that him and Robin had. But I think we do see as viewers that those two did have a very strong connection. And now he doesn't want his one slip up to be the end of it. So it's, he's like trying to fight for it, but Again, it's just it's a little too strong where it it makes more sense for you to just kind of take the L and leave and then maybe try to reconnect with her, you know, in a few days. and be Like, hey, listen, I'm sorry. That was weird. Like, I just got ahead of myself. I'd really like to make it up to you when you're back from Orlando and take you out to dinner sometime. She was smart when he's like, I could be walking five hypothetical dogs. She should be like, I'm going to like lead this dude on a little bit because I have a job where I have to run around a lot. And these five giant dogs have to be walked. Maybe I just make this dude my dog walker for a while. That seems more realistic to me. And then, I don't know. It she, Again, it kind of works on her because now they're like close again. He does end his speech by mentioning that he's a pretty good kisser. And she's like, everyone thinks they're a good kisser. And he's like, oh, I have references. And she says good night. And then he goes, and I'm a good handshaker. And the two of them end the night with a handshake when it was like somehow despite all his fuck ups. He had an opportunity to kiss her again and fucked it up again because he's a fucking moron. <laughs> you know, we cut back to him explaining to them at the bar, like what happened. And Marshall and Barney both were like, they're shaking their heads at him. And he's like, what? And like, that was the signal. Like when you were shaking hands with her, like she gave you the signal. You, you could have kissed her. Best part of this whole scene too, by the way, is that Ranjit is at the bar with them. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. And I looked it up, and he's in 21 episodes, so he is like a recurring character on the show. It was so bad that Barney, who already admitted that he doesn't believe in signals, identified that this was, in fact, a signal. I'm sorry, there wouldn't be a signal after the I think I love you thing. She would have cast him away. 
I don't know, though. There was something between the two of them. So, like, maybe she realized he just slipped up. Also, people inherently like attention. Uh, so just the idea that maybe she, you know, it's creepy, but you still kind of like knowing that someone likes you that much. Yeah, you do at the beginning. Day one, when someone's like, I just met you, I love you. You're like, that's really sweet. Day seven of that, you're like, oh, there's a fucking psycho who wants well, my sure. dogs. But this is day one, so it works. <laughs> oh, it's day one-ish? I don't think that's ever sweet. I think that's a red flag. And it's, it's a oh, I, oh, I agree. I'm just saying, if you're going to think it's cute or admirable or something, you're going to for, like, the first day only. Even um, bartender Carl says that, you know, he should have kissed her when he's dropping off some glasses at the table. And I'm glad Carl understood that he didn't know that Yasmin and him were together. So I'd hate if the two of them had bad blood. Yeah, he didn't just, like, throw a punch at him. He knew he didn't know. And then Marshall pops a bottle of champagne to celebrate because they still do have an engagement to celebrate. Lily said that she was very turned on by the idea of Marshall, who was able to pop the cork and not injure her. I don't know if we talked about this before, but I personally, anybody thoughts on champagne? I don't like champagne. I hate champagne. It's disgusting. I'm yeah, not, gross. I'm not a, a wine drinker either. So like that whole, Same. that whole, like maybe a nice mimosa. Problem with mimosas is I think that's probably the only way I could drink champagne, but now I've hit the age where if I drink even half a glass of orange juice, I will have heartburn for like 17 hours, so it's just not a winning scenario. The only time like uh, I half enjoy any type of champagne, it's usually on the sweeter side, like the but like a like a real nice Andre, yeah, like you know the shitty stuff. But like it's just it's not for me. That's not my style of drink. I have like a two hundred and fifty dollar bottle of champagne that was given to us as a gift. That's very sweet. I'm just trying to think of, like, when do I open this and drink it? And, like, I need to have people around so it doesn't get a waste. They eventually toast uh, in honor of this engagement. Ted all the while still insisting that this, you know, it was not the signal. And then then we get to the narration and it kind of, you know, it's like Bob Saget again talking to the kids and saying how, you know, years later he asked and she admitted that that was the signal. And he said, but that's the funny thing about destiny. It happens whether you plan it or not. I mean, I never thought I'd see that girl again, but it turns out I was just too close to the puzzle to see the picture that was forming because that kids is the story of how I met your aunt Robin. And they're like, what? Like, I thought you were going to tell us the story about how you met mom. And he's like, yeah, I said it was a long story. And that's kind of how they get into this. So it's like, and now they're upset. Like the kids are like, oh God, kids like they have to sit here forever and hear a long story. I get that. That's how we continue on with this series. Obviously like this, it couldn't be a one episode thing. That big swerve at the end. I just don't like, I don't mind that the girl doesn't end up being Robin. I just don't like that. We've closed that door and we established concrete that this is not going to be her. I do like that because that says to me that every episode for a long time, you're never going to know if it's a one-off or a short-term thing until we get to his mom. That gives the show longevity. Yeah, but I just don't think we should have closed the door like that in the narration because there's so many things you could have played with, with the two of them in future episodes, whether he meets other girls or not, where it could always be in the back of your head like these two could get together. And I, even if that was never going to be the planned end of the show... I just don't like slamming the door on it because I think they established too much of a connection between the two. Personally, I disagree. I think it's great for a pilot to be like, hey, do you want to watch next week? Because me personally, I was like, I had not seen I did not see that coming. And I was like, OK, well, now I'm interested. It, it, that's not her. They built it up. I think it's good writing. And then you're like, OK, well, every episode we don't know. It's like a mystery. I think that that keeps you intrigued and wanting to watch more. 
And maybe like selfishly on my behalf, it's the fact that I did like the chemistry between the two. So I don't like knowing that I won't get more of that. Okay. I mean, you will. They you date will. for a while. But what's the point of it? Like when you're watching it. Without knowing yeah. how the show ends, you can't really. <sighs> I really want to spoil it for you. I know you're not going to watch it. I'm not going to do but, it on the podcast. But, yeah. For the, for, the sake, for the sake of the show, don't. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not just gonna. saying. But w- as you watched it. As you watch the show, knowing for a fact that they're not going to get together, could you stay engaged when they were dating on the show? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. But I see why you feel that way. Like it's a it's a reasonable feeling to have about it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's weird knowing the rest of it and how I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it is weird to me. It almost feels like watching like. If I missed a football game but taped it, but I already know that they lost, and like watching the game doesn't matter if it's interesting. Like I can't enjoy it knowing the end of of the situation. Yeah. Isn't like you know, but I mean, hey, listen again. The show was wildly popular, so I, it's just I guess for me a little bit of a nitpick. And it, like I said, selfishly, just because I thought Robin and Ted had a decent connection, so to close the window is just a little weird for me. And it's kind of even weirder to know that they keep dating off and on within the show when we've already established there's no way that it's going to happen. But anyways, I mean, we've talked at great length about this show, you know, and to not keep the episode too, too long. I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to add any tidbits about the show. It's, 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 it had such a long run. The only thing I got is this show has two spinoffs. There's how I met your father, which a lot, most people know about. Yes. I did want to bring this up actually. That's and a then good there's call. how I met your dad and how I'd met your dad was made by the creators of this show and the creators didn't work. did both, but they took time oh. in between, but the creators did how I met your dad immediately after like this was supposed to like, yeah. basically as soon as one ends, the other one begins. Like, and we saw that with like three's company and other shows have done that where they, and um, golden palace did the same thing. Yeah. I don't even think the episode, did it even end up airing the, how I met your dad one? I think it tested so bad that they didn't even air it. Oh, you know what? I remember what happened. It didn't test well. They, but the, the um, network ordered a reshoot for the pilot to redo it, trying to like save it. You know what I mean? Because they, you know, obviously it was such a successful property for them and the creators refused to redo the pilot and just quit. <laughs> just, they called it a day. I know it had uh, that comedian, um, Andrew Santino. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So I am curious to watch it. I watched a little bit about the show. It's findable. Yeah, and then and then obviously how I met your father ends up going two seasons on Hulu and then with Hillary one, Duff. That one's already over now, but at least they got a second season. Yeah. Oh, I just want to say one last thing with the show that I did want to point out is I do love that it ends on Back on the Chain Gang by the Pretenders. I thought that was a perfect song to end this on. But uh yeah, I'm we've covered this pretty deep and at this point we might as well get into the Green Lighter cancel. So, Gordo, starting with you. I like the show overall. Um, I am going to give it a green light. What I didn't like was that the will they, won't they, they could have dragged that on for a long time. Like, to, I, I agree, Jay, that like to shut it episode one, I don't think that was a smart move given the chemistry. Like, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I understand from like what Joe said and what Ferg said that they liked it, but each woman or whatever, like you're not going to get this. I have a feeling that you're not going to get this in depth, different girl, different, each different episode. So 
it, it should be more of a season long story arc. But regardless, I'm hooked and I want to see now who the mother is and how he met her because he's such a friggin' idiot that I got to see how he did it. So great cast. Everybody's funny. Everybody plays their part well. I don't think that we spoke about how much chemistry everybody had. You know, it seemed like they were already mid-stride. And that's always a good sign. The writing was there. So green light. Nick. Yeah, I've kind of voiced my opinion on how I feel about uh, Ted. But but aside from that, I am actually greenlighting the show. I really like the... The, the universe this exists in, the atmosphere, the, the characters, and like Gordo just said, they, uh, from the go, are, they have really good chemistry. I, I, can't, I, I cannot stand Ted. I think he's the worst character on the show by a long shot. But the, the supporting cast, I think, does a really good job of making up for that. And I do, you know, watching the pilot again, like I said, I'd seen this before. It's been a really long time. But watching the pilot again, I'm like... I'm, I, it's less about wanting to know what happens between Ted and Robin because they've already put the kibosh on that, like we've discussed. But I also, I don't know, I just like, I, I kind of am into the hijinks that this group of people as a whole might get themselves into in it. And because of that, I want to keep watching. And because I want to keep watching, I have to give it the green light. So, yeah, green light for me. Berg, tough. Um, it's like both of you said, it's an amazing supporting cast. But I can't stand Ted and him being the lead role. Like you're only as strong as your weakest link and your weakest link is the lead. Tough. I've seen a lot of episodes of this show and I never thought it was that funny. I don't think, I think the pilot is better than a lot of the later episodes, I'll be honest. So teetering, but I'm going to lean with the cancel just because I don't like Ted. Joe. This one was tough for me. It's definitely a little cutesier than the shows I like, and that stuff usually turns me off. And I was going through it being like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then the last thing where that's how I met your Aunt Robin actually sold me. I was like, okay, this actually hooked me enough that I am intrigued to see this. And I think it is a good angle, especially if we're talking about judging a pilot. That makes That's going to make a lot of people want to see the next episode. And... I don't know if I'll ever get around to watching this, but this seems like the kind of thing that is like a winter kill a TV show in a, a month type of thing that we would probably watch. Uh, I also had to suit up this week, which I thought was kind of funny and uh, prescient to doing this. Uh, my suit does not fit me like it used to also, which is a, a bit depressing. And hopefully the photographer who had take pictures of me got my better angles. But because of that, uh, I'm going to go with the green light. I oddly kind of came around on this one. Yeah. So uh, for me, I said, you know, I've, I've watched a few episodes. Never was something that like I was super captivated by. But to go by this pilot, I think it's pretty good. I think everyone has chemistry, not without faults. I'm not in love with that as much as other people are. But I think, you know, it kind of hits all the metrics. And overall, it was a good show. I think it was clever. The characters all had good chemistry, you know, and the hook at the end, you know, regardless of how, how I feel, it does spark a lot of interest. But yeah, for me, um, it's enough to green light for sure. So the only other thing I want to mention real quick before I close out is I forgot to go over a couple of the numbers and IMDb had this at 8.3 Rotten Tomatoes, 84 critic, 85 fans. So overwhelmingly kind of a well-received show amongst all 
you know, we're kind of going ahead with that. You know, they average 8.3, 84, 85, and here we are with 80% because we are four out of five. So congratulations to How I Met Your Mother. You live on to see another episode. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. I forgot to bring it up at the beginning of the show. Please go to s1e1pod.com. That's where you can find all the links to our social media. Uh, S1E1Pod on Instagram and X. We're very active on those. I like to post plenty of uh, various clips of each episode. So, you know, get some highlights that way. We also like when you guys interact with us. So shoot us a DM. Let us know shows you want us to cover. Just let us know how you found us. All that stuff. Again, we really like interacting with you guys. We got a lot planned in the future. So that interaction is going to really help down the road. But... With all that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you next week with another new episode. But until then, thank you. Goodbye. You got the best Ranjit's wife. <laughs>